of the chapter. <clears throat> This is the word of the Lord. Rejoice not, O Israel, exult not like the peoples, for you have played the whore, forsaking your God. You have loved a prostitute's wage all on the threshing floors. Threshing floor and wine vat shall not feed them, and new wine shall fail them. They shall not remain in the land of the Lord, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean food in Assyria. They shall not pour drink offerings of wine to the Lord, and their sacrifices shall not please him. It shall be like mourners, bread to them. All who eat of it shall be defiled, for their bread shall be their hunger only. It shall not come to the house of the Lord. What will you do on the day of the appointed festival, on the day of the feast of the Lord? For behold, they are going away from, from destruction, but Egypt shall gather them, Memphis shall bury them, nettles shall possess their precious things of silver, thorns shall be in their tents. The days of punishment have come, the days of recompense have come, Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool, the man of the spirit is mad. Because of your great iniquity and great hatred. The prophet is the watchman of Ephraim with my God. Yet a fowler's snare is all on its way. And hatred in the house of his God. They have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibba. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. Like grapes in the wilderness I found Israel. Like the first fruit on the fig tree in its season I saw your fathers. But they came to Baal Peor and consecrated themselves to the things of shame and became detestable like the things they loved. Ephraim's glory shall fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Even if they bring up children, I will bereave them till none is left. Woe to them when I depart from them. Ephraim, as I have seen, was like a young palm planted in a meadow. <coughs> But Ephraim must lead his children out to slaughter. Give them, O Lord, what will you give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. Every evil of theirs is in Gilgal. There I began to hate them because of the wickedness of their deeds. I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebels. Ephraim is stricken. Their root is dried up and they shall bear no fruit. Even though they give birth, I will put their beloved children to death. My God will reject them because they have not listened to him. They shall be wanderers among the nations. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. When we consider our relationship to God, I think there are very few as good examples of our relationship to God as that of Father or our relationship with our children parent to child and it should not surprise us because God himself chooses to call himself father and he chooses to call us children <clears throat> yet as, as children we are oftentimes disobedient and just as we punish our own children <clears throat> so God will bring punishment upon his children and if you've been a parent you have probably have found that there are times in parenting where the best thing we can do for our children is to put them in a form of exile. 
what do I mean by this? I think it can mean a lot of things. Sometimes it looks like go to your room, <laughs> exile to the room. But sometimes it looks like more than this. Now, this is actually the testimony of my father-in-law. My father-in-law, as he became 14, 15, 16-year-olds, years old, began to get into drugs, hard drugs. His parents, who were Christians, came to him and said, you're going to stop living this way or you're going to get out. He did not stop living that way. And so they kicked him out. They sent him into exile. He literally hitchhiked his way to California and was gone for many, many, many years. It was this form of exile that became a punishment for a life lived in rebellion to God. And this is the same thing that God is doing with Israel. They have been living in rebellion. They have turned against him and against his will. They knew how they were to live before him, and yet they turned to other gods, to other nations, and he is now casting them out of the land. The punishment comes upon the land. It comes upon their labors. It even comes upon their heirs, their loins. It is an utter and complete punishment. So as we consider this today, and I promise we only have a few more weeks of judgment until mercy comes, we'll see three things. The defilement of festivals, the exile of the people, and judgment on generations. The defilement of festivals, the exile of the people, and the judgment on generations. Let's begin by looking at the defilement of festivals. Uh, Hosea begins here by using one of his personal favorite criticisms of the people. They have played the prostitute, the harlot. They have committed adultery against God. They have loved the wages of a harlot. Israel's prostitution will cause them to be exiled from the land. This sinful gaining of pay will not be allowed in Yahweh's household. It says, you've loved uh, the prostitute's wages on the threshing floor. And he ties this prostitution with harvest, with associated with fertility. In essence, they were looking to other gods, to the cult, so they would be plentiful, uh, both for themselves and for their land, for their harvest. But their punishment is that they will not find reaping, they will not find sustenance on the threshing floor. They will no longer seek or receive the blessing that they hoped for. God promised them that he would provide for them, that he would bless them, and this blessing is being removed. The grain they sought, the wine they sought will not satisfy, satisfy them any longer. And there's tones here of a festival, and it says this, it talks about a festival. And more than likely what's being referred to here is the festival of booths. Uh, and today we oftentimes don't know exactly what the festival of booths was. Uh, but it was something that Israel did each year. It was done around the time of harvest. And they would literally build these, what they're they basically tents. 
but they were makeshift tents. They called booths or tabernacles is another word they used for it, festival uh, tents. And they would use what was ever out there and they would build these tents. And what it was to symbolize is God's provision for the people during their exile wanderings or not exile wanderings, but through their exodus, excuse me, wanderings. And so they celebrated this with a festival, the festival of booths. It was to be representative of God's provision for his people. You can imagine, and this is not said here, but you can imagine even Hosea confronting them at such a festival. And what they've done is they've taken this festival that was to be good and they've perverted it by adding to it the ritual and rites of these pagan nations. And he comes to him and says, yeah, you remember that thing that you're celebrating that signified your removal from Egypt into the promised land? That's being undone. You're going to be sent back to Egypt. You're going back to exile. The land is Yahweh's. And it is holy. And it cannot support that which is not holy. They will be forced, it says in verse 3, to go eat the unclean food in Assyria. In essence, they would be unclean as they acted unclean. And what unclean means here is sinful. They were acting sinfully. They were not worthy to come into the presence of God. He says, you're going to go to Assyria and you're going to be unclean, unpresentable, as it were, to God. He goes on to say in verse 4 that you're going to try to pour out drink offering. And this is one of the offerings in the temple. You would pour out a drink offering. And again, they're trying, they're desperately trying to appease God. But they're going to pour out drink offering as wine to the Lord. And it will not please him. He will not find satisfaction in it. His house, his land are to be holy. Destruction is coming for the people. All the blessings have been reversed. Judgment comes in the form of life outside of the promised land. Okay. As we like to do as we go through our points, so what? What does that mean for us today? We don't really celebrate any liturgical not at least not any commanded liturgical festivals do we the the closest we get to it are christmas and easter at least for us as presbyterians but even those and we understand and i think they're good and i like that we obviously we like if you looked around the room and as the holidays have thrown up on our walls and i love it in a great way we celebrate this, but it's not a commanded uh, festival. You know, when you talk about Passover in the Old Testament, that was very commanded. They were to do it. You talk about even the festival of booths. It was something that they did on a yearly basis. We don't really have those kind of festivals, but we do have Christmas and we do have Easter, and they're meant to be times of remembrance each year. So we talk about Rusty and our prayers. Our worship team was coming this morning. Yeah. We remember God all through the year, but we have set aside this time, this time of year, every year in December, where we focus on the incarnation. It's, it's what we're, we're focusing on, that Jesus became man. And you see in the back here, we have these banners with uh, Jesus in the manger, that we've come and worship the newborn king and all these things, hope and 
peace and joy and all the like. And that's what we're remembering this specific time of year. But what can Christmas become also? Commercial, right? We get tied up. I remember as a kid, and this is less true, I think, for me as an adult. But as a kid, it was all about what am I getting this year? And your kids, you know. I want that new biggest, for me, it was Star Wars toys or other things like that. Now that I'm older, it's Legos. <laughs> right? Nothing's really changed. I grew up, right, yeah. <laughs> But when we allow it to become about what we can get, when we allow it to become about a way of indulging our idols, and just sit down and don't go watch commercials. Just watch commercials right now and how they're gearing towards you, right? It's about getting the new car. It's about getting the new electronic device. It's about getting the new better next thing. That's what the holidays have become about. And when... The, the festival of Christmas becomes about indulging our idols when it comes about the way in which we can get what we want to manipulate God. God, I really need this new car. How do I get this to happen? I really need this. We have to be concerned with our own motives. Are we looking towards what we can reap out of the holidays? Because that's what they were doing. They were coming to this festival, this festival of booze, which was all about reaping, and they were focusing not on the one who provided for them, but on what they could get. They wanted the wines, they wanted the grains, they wanted the protection of the nations. They took something that was to be, look at God, look how he protected us and provided for us, and look how he continues to provide for us, and they perverted and twisted it. They wanted what they Desired, no matter what the cost. And so that's what they did. Is, okay, we're going to hedge our bets. We're going to worship God and we're going to worship Baal. And we're going to worship Assyria. Also, we can get what we want. We cannot try to manipulate God to get our ends, our goals not worrying about the way we gain what we seek to reap. We must seek the will of God in all that we do. Now listen to me. I'm not knocking everything that we do at Christmas even. We're buying Christmas for our kids. We're buying Christmas for one another. It's fine to do those things. It's not about the giving of gifts. I think those are very representative of what Christ did in sending his son in a manger, the ultimate gift. I think we can do that in a good way. It's when it becomes the motive of what we do, the desire of our hearts, and not about the remembering of God's faithfulness. It's one of the things I loved growing up that my parents were constantly reminding us of on Christmas morning. And we did this one year. It was overwhelming for my wife. I don't know if we'll do it again. But my parents, they, we made cinnamon rolls. Some of you may have got those cinnamon rolls. And every, every Christmas morning, we never opened presents until we went and gave people things. And they told us, you, we've been given a gift. We've been given Christ. And it's not about going to under the tree and just ripping all the presents open. It's about going and giving to people. And it was a small thing, right? It was just a pan of cinnamon rolls. But it was to remind us. It's about Jesus who has given 
to us. If we don't, if we don't respond in faith and obedience, and if Israel didn't respond in faith and obedience, then it meant exile. That's our second point, exile for the people, the nation. We'll go into exile looking at verse 6. For behold, they are going away from destruction, but Egypt shall gather them, Memphis shall bury them, Nettles shall possess their precious things of silver. In essence, and, and of course, they're not going back to Egypt here. Again, we see Assyria come up. But he uses Egypt here specifically because what had Israel been delivered from? Egypt, right? They had been taken out of the land of Egypt. We go through the Exodus and then delivered into the promised land. And he says, instead of blessing, they're going to have destruction. They're going to be taken to Egypt. Literally, it says they're going to have nettles and thorns all around them. Nettles shall possess their precious silver. Thorns shall be in their tents. Have you ever slept in a tent and tried to sleep on a bed of thorns? I wouldn't recommend it. It's not comfortable, right? That's the point. If you try to sleep on a bed of thorns, it doesn't feel good. All their precious things will have nettles around them. This is a result of divine judgment. If they seek the fertility cults and all the blessings they think will come with it, then they'll be made like the wilderness. Their fruits will become like the beasts of the field. God will bring judgment upon them. In the future, there'll be restoration when he'll reverse all this. But for now, Israel has no cause to rejoice. They have no cause to be thankful. Because it's going to lose the land and live an unclean life. For they have listened to the foolish prophets. He says, the prophet is a fool and the man of the spirit is mad because of the great iniquity and great hatred, the prophet and Hosea here is talking about false prophets who come in to Israel. And basically they're saying this, everything's okay. Nothing to see here. God's going to bless you. There were counterparts to Hosea in his day who were coming and saying, everything's fine. They were to be watchmen who warned the people, but they didn't. They've corrupted themselves. says, you have have corrupted yourselves as in the day of Gibba. And this was a time in Israel's history that was marked with rape and murder. It was a terrible thing. He says, you're corrupt in this way. You're guilty of these heinous things. And Hosea is saying, you can't listen to these false prophets who are crying out, everything's fine. The reality is that today, when you look at most uh, denominations across the board in America, you have, and we, we like to say, well, that's a conservative denomination and that's a liberal denomination, right? So I don't know about you, but if you ever tell people you go to Presbyterian Church, people will often ask, well, the good one or the bad one, <laughs> right? Uh, the PC, um, USA or the PCA? And, and the difference being, um, what do we believe about the Bible? And this is true across the board, And I think in many ways we can say that there are churches today that are in exile. There are places where the gospel is no longer being preached, 
where God's presence is no longer being felt, where they have prophets in the pulpit saying everything's fine, nothing to see here, move along. And the church has become a fruitless place. They have become so in love with the world that if the world comes in and says, Scripture's not right here. They go, okay, Scripture's not right here. And you don't have to go far to see this when we come to the Word of God and say, no, that's outdated, that's archaic. They are blind to what's really going on around them. They cannot, or excuse me, we cannot be like these churches. We cannot be like Israel who heard the false prophets and said, oh yeah, everything's fine. We must be a people who are of the word, who surrender ourselves to the will of God. And if we fail to do this, and if Israel failed to do this, there was a judgment that was coming. This is our third and final point, the judgment on generations. Starting in verse 10, it says, Like grapes in the wilderness I found Israel, like the first fruit on the fig tree in the season I saw your fathers. And basically this, this is God saying, You remember when? When I first saw you? You were like grapes or figs in the wilderness. Have you ever been walking through the, the woods and you come upon like a, just a healthy blackberry bush or raspberry bush or some sort of fig tree? And it's, it's a wonderful, beautiful thing, right? To, oh, the sustenance of the land. And he says, when I first saw you, Israel, you were like grapes in the wilderness. So it's, it's more than just like, you know, up on this hill here, if you come at the right time of year, you'll find blackberries. And they're, they're okay blackberries, but it's not too far-fetched to know that there are blackberries back in these woods because this is a very wooded area. He says, it's like finding fruit in the wilderness. Could you imagine if you were going through the wilderness, through dry and arid land, and all of a sudden you came upon a tree with ripe fruit? And you can imagine the response to that would be, right? When I found you, it was like finding grapes in the wilderness. It was a sweet and an excitable thing. This is what it was like when God first came to Israel. But, but they came to Baal Peor. It's an abrupt trans transition here. It's a reference to Israel's sexually immoral behavior with Moabite women. As they engaged in these behaviors before this deity of this false deity, Baal Peor. It says, this is, who you're, this is what you're like now. You become a detestable thing. You become like the detestable thing that they loved. Remember your transgressions. They are vile. They are shameful. Verse 11, Ephraim's glory shall fly away like a bird. In essence, he's saying, I'm going to leave you. Because Ephraim's true glory was God himself. The glory of Ephraim will fly away. It's going to depart abruptly. And it's going to leave behind devastating consequences. There'll be no more conceiving or bearing children. Even if they raise children, they will become childless. Judgment will deny Ephraim children. 
Verse 12, I will bereave them till none is left. Woe to them when I depart them. They're the judgment that is coming generationally upon the people. The people wanted blessings. But now a cry of woe goes up in the face of devastating distress and destruction. It says you're going to lead your children out to slaughter. And it's one thing to come and, and, you know, if you go through famine, times of famine, times of want, that's hard. But then he goes a step further and says, you will have no more. Your children, either you will not conceive children or you will not. If you do conceive children, you will not raise them. The people wanted blessing, and yet they sought polytheism. They sought offering sacrifices to idols. They even dabbled in magics, all in an effort to bring about fertility. And God says, I will remove the fertility from you that you desire. You have acted evilly. You have acted wickedly. And you will be driven out. And it really doesn't matter here if he's talking about a literal removal of children or even a removal of children that comes from exile. Because you know what happened in exile as Assyria came in? You know what they they would do? They would round up all the bright, young future of Israel. You, you, You hear about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all those. Those were the bright young future of Israel that were taken to serve the kings of Assyria. So whether it's saying here a a literal removal of children or that they will be removed from you and into the land, it, it doesn't matter. It's the same end here. You have acted wickedly and destruction will become upon you. Three words are used for this destruction. If, if verse 16, Ephraim is stricken. Their root is dried up or withered. And then a little bit later, they'll be put to death. To strike, to wither, and to put to death. These are harsh language that's being used of judgment. And I think there's a way in which we can say, this is hard for us to see or identify with today, this generational judgment. And yet, I I don't think it really is. If you look at the world around you, we often will be critical of several things. We say, well, the families are breaking down, right? What what has happened to the family? And what happens when you you lose the family structure? You lose the children. So now we're at the point where you literally have this show on TV about two parents who are encouraging their child to have gender reassignment surgery. And you think about the slaughter of children. And how far is that removed from literal, the slaughter of children? Parents become more concerned with their children's perceived happiness than with discipline. They lead their children to slaughter, the spiritual slaughter that puts them into exile. 
We in the church know that the Bible talks about generational blessings, but it also talks about generational curses. We must turn to him and we must obey him. But if we fail to, he'll bring judgment upon us. I believe we see this judgment going on all around us. We, I think we can at times... I don't know why we do this, but it's hard for for the world today to associate itself with the world of yesterday. When in reality, while we may have technology, we may have advancements, it really isn't that different. It really isn't that different. We may seek blessing through children, and yet if we live in rebellion, he will remove those children from us. As we come before God, we must remember that he is a good and gracious father. He will punish us when we seek after this world. He will send us away out of his land into exile. There will be a judgment that will come generationally. I think about how we began this sermon my father-in-law. My father-in-law went into exile for some years. He had two children in exile. I use that word exile, right? And his mother prayed for him. His mother prayed for him. Eventually, he came out of exile. He came back home. He eventually came back to the church. There was a Sunday where both his daughters and all four of his granddaughters were baptized. And thankfully, his mother got to be there for that. Sometimes, exile is exactly what we need to cause us to stop focusing on ourselves. That we might be restored to him. But in exile, we must not grow cold. We must come in repentance. We must turn again to our good and gracious God. Because here's the thing. There's exile and then there's exile. Oh, well, thanks. That's exactly clear. Sometimes exile comes in the form of a punishment. Sometimes exile comes in the form of judgment. We who are in the church must not allow any time we experience these times of separation to be times where we run from God, but to be times where we run to God. This is what this table reminds us of, that no matter what happens, we who are in Christ, we who are truly his, can always come again to Jesus in faith, in repentance, in obedience, and say, Heavenly Father, I have lived, been living in rebellion before you, but I have faith that your son is big enough to cover those sins. What Israel needed, what we needed, was to get on its knees, to come in faith, to come in repentance. And that blessing that we're going to get to here in a few weeks, that's the end. When we come in faith, when we come in repentance...
God hears us. He forgives us. And he loves us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful, Lord, even as we come and each week as we look at the judgment that has come upon the nation and we see echoes of it and maybe even outright one-to-one comparisons of it in our time. Lord, we ask that we would hear these words and they would encourage and strengthen us to come again to you in faith and repentance, to call upon your name and to serve you and you alone. We ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please stand now.